The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of hope. Messages of hope. Well, hey everybody, it's a big day here at the program. I am very honored to have Dr. Eben Alexander and his partner Karen Newell here for the whole show. I've been looking forward to having him on the show one day, and today's the day. I'm coming to you live from near Boone, North Carolina, beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains. It's gorgeous around here. Wish you were here with me. So a quick announcement before we dive into the show. If you're on my newsletter list, you already know I'm going to be doing a charity online workshop Saturday, September 26th at 1 o'clock Eastern, so adjust for your time zone. But the workshop is called Awakened Living. I just felt that we all needed a dose of inspiration and, and tools and tips to understand how to deal with the divisiveness. But inspiration and greater understanding about how to raise our consciousness. So that is a free online event, but... I'm asking for donations to one of my favorite charities, an animal rescue uh, hospice for old dogs in the Midwest. All the info is on my website at suzannegiesman.com slash, uh-oh, what is it? I'm going blank. Just go to the events calendar and you'll see it for September 26th, and I hope you can join us. If I did say it's free, so if you can't join us live and do the donation, it, we're going to be putting that on YouTube afterwards for anybody to listen to. So let's move on to today. Most of you are probably familiar with Dr. Eben Alexander's story if you read the very popular bestseller, Proof of Heaven, The Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife. After he had a death experience, nothing near about it, he died and came back to tell about it. Uh, Dr. Alexander had a lot to teach us about consciousness. He's partnered with Karen Newell, who has been doing wonderful research into consciousness and both of them have recently written together a book about heart-centered consciousness called living in a mindful universe we're going to talk about a variety of subjects and so i'd like to get right into it and welcome both of you to the show well suzanne it's great to be here thanks so much for having Evan us and Karen, on are you yes there? we're looking forward to this conversation Okay, this Hello? is breaking up a lot, so, yep, you're breaking up here, and I don't like that, so we're going to just do a, something real quick here to change things around. All right. We can hear you Let me know fine. if you guys can yep. hear me. We excellent. can. It should get a little better now. All right, excellent. So, I'm going to go on the assumption that most people listening, because our father, are used to as we dive into familiar with your story, Eben, about the coma and your near death experience. But it would be really awesome if you could just um, tell us what the greatest lesson you learned from that experience is. Well, the greatest lesson was really that the binding force of love is probably the most real thing in the universe, and it is something that really connects all of us uh, through our consciousness and uh, through our heart, 
resonance, and that binding force of love has tremendous power to heal. And I'd say that's probably the most important part, no matter how you kind of dice and slice my journey and my scientific understanding of it, my work with other scientists about consciousness. Ultimately, it's the importance of that love. And each and every one of us can can use that lesson tremendously to help healing ourselves and, and healing all those around us and healing this world. Wow. I I find that stunning to hear from you, a scientist, a medical doctor. The very first thing you talk about is love, and you call it a force. Wow. I, I'm always saying love is the answer, and I sound like the Pollyanna when I talk about that all the time. But if we were to use synonyms for love in a more scientific term, is there a way to do that? Well, I think um, – it's. Uh, I guess I kind of like to call it the love of the creator of the cre- creator for the creation, but in all of that uh, kind of language, is uh, the fact that we are through our very conscious awareness connected to that God force. We're not par- apart from it or separate from it. It's a, you know, an innate part of our very existence, and we're so used to in in our little world. Uh, you know, when we talk about love, often it has conditions attached, like with romantic love and that kind of thing. Although I would say in general, the love of a parent for a child or child for a parent uh, probably is generally a little more kind of pure in its form. But the reality is when people have a, a near-death experience, they they soak in that ocean of pure love, of oneness and connectedness. And that's the thing that really brings, lets us come back to this world without ever fearing death again, because we realize it's not an ending. It's an, yes, it's the end of a physical body, but that's not the end of our soul connections with loved ones. That connection does not end with the death of a body. And this is the most important lesson from NDEs, is that healing love has tremendous power to heal. And so much of the problems in our society and our world at large are that we have forgotten that lesson, and we've somehow lost our trust in, in the uh, deep and loving force, that God force that so many have experienced. And that's where I think the NDE community, um, in many ways, is the tip of the spear to help us all awaken to this deeper truth. But it has everything to do with modern science of consciousness. So it's uh, something that I think as a scientist we have to uh, you know, admit the power of that unconditional love and its healing force. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And now I'm going to put Karen on the spot because I've known the two of you for for quite a few years. We've done some workshops and conferences together. And I have seen a change in especially you, Eben, over the years. But Karen, you're with him all the time. How would you say that this work has changed both of you? Well, when I first met Eben, of course, it was three years after his coma journey, and I didn't know who he was before, but when I first met him, he was very intent on uh, the whole science of it all, and uh, I really reminded him that the love that he experienced was totally possible to bring back here to this plane, and that was kind of a new thought for him, but also the after effects of a near-death experiencer, his intensity was very, even three years after his coma, very sort of raw. And since that time, he's become much, much more grounded, much more able to bring those concepts into words that the rest of us can understand. And uh, he's come (laughs) really just a huge way when it comes to that delicate balance. It's not that delicate for him, but he can swing from, you know, very deep scientific language and concepts all the way to what he was just talking about, the beautiful love and the, you know, messages from the prophets and stuff like that. So it's really quite an amazing transformation, the way he's brought all of that together. Yeah, what I noticed is he was definitely very much, this is totally subjective. My observation when we first met was very much still the scientist and um, um, intense is a beautiful, perfect word. And now just so it just seems more flowing and uh, and not so intense. It's beautiful. But Karen, you've been um, meditating for years, right? Yes, I've been meditating uh, among other types of, of things. I can explain all that if you like, or did you have a particular question? No, I'd like to, I'd like to go into that. What was your what has your spiritual practice been over the years? Okay, well, when I first uh, got into all of this, I was I was just 
really very curious about what lots of people say, which is that all of us have these abilities, for example, to be telepathic or uh, be able to connect with spirit guides. And I wanted to have some of that. And as I set down the path to do so, it wasn't really so simple. And every class that I took, I took courses in uh, healing touch for animals, um, remote viewing, lucid dreaming, out-of-body experience, all kinds of things, Reiki. And every single time, the teacher would ask us to meditate. They would say, okay, now we're going to do a meditation. And I thought, no, I want to do that other stuff. What really meditation was the foundation, but I didn't want to do meditation because it was so frustrating. I couldn't get my mind to quiet. I was a very busy, active, multitasking project manager, and quieting my mind just seemed very unproductive, but it really was very, very key and important. And the way that I finally got my way to start settling that mind was through a particular type of sound audio technology, brainwave entrainment, and also... The added uh, practice that helped me through that was a, a certain form of Sufi heart rhythm meditation. So mm. putting my focus on the heart instead of the mind made a huge difference in being able to kind of leave those distracting thoughts behind. Because once you put your attention into the heart, there is no linguistic center there. It's only yeah. a feeling state. And that's where those two things combined really is when I started to make progress in all of these areas. Oh, I love that. And I would really like to focus on that, the brainwave entrainment and the heart-centered meditation in the second half of the show. If we get back to it in the first half, that's fine. But we might jump around a little bit now. I want to ask uh, Eben, do you wish you could return to the other side having experienced the fullness of that love? Well, I actually, in many ways, have returned to the other side in meditation. Uh, I've used uh, sacred acoustics tones very deliberately uh, to, um, uh, you know, to get to develop my relationship with uh, many of the, uh, like the beings, the entities, the sources, the guides, the uh, infinitely healing force of love. Uh, so I've used meditation to get back into it, um, and that part, uh, you know, has been a real gift. Although I must say that uh, that that remarkable quality. Of, um, but do you want of, to go back to the other side, she's asking you? No, that's, well, I've, I'm very it, happy with that answer, that you don't need to once well, you've experienced well, it. Well, let's put it this way. I also realize, I mean, a giant part of my understanding, which was crystal clear to me after my NDE, but I had no idea of the scientific basis supporting the reality of it all, is the notion of reincarnation, that our souls come back again and again. And and that was something crystal clear to me in my journey, and yet I had to dig up all the science supporting it and found there's a, a lot of science supporting it. But my point about this is this is the world where our souls get the work done. And, mm. um, you know, our, it's not as if we have an option to, you know, elect to just get to the spiritual realm and sit up there on a, a cloud forever playing a harp or something like that. That's just not the way it works. That, In fact, I would say that our souls from that point of view, are chomping at the bit to get into these bodies, even though we know full well that our kind of knowledge and memories from, you know, between lives and that heavenly realm get covered over while we're living these lives as part of getting skin in the game to live these lives and learn and teach the lessons we're here to learn. So I look at that, that the heavenly realms is, uh, they're kind of, it's kind of like breathing. You breathe in and you breathe out. We we spend time in this world where we're temporarily dumbed down, but this is where we get the actual work done for soul growth. But then we have that respite between lives of going through life reviews, reuniting with souls of departed loved ones, and then planning next incarnations. So it's never a, a I'd rather be there because that's not really where we get the work done. And yet I think that uh, by uh, kind of glimpsing it and, and kind of feeling that love, we can serve to bring that love into this world, and that is what can be so healing. Uh, and that's really the goal, is, is kind of healing this world, becoming more whole. But it can only happen by having this broader perspective of who we are and what this major cycle of life is that's much bigger than just assuming that we're birth-to-death physical beings and nothing more. Well, that's interesting because because I have so many members of this community who say to me, 
I want to get it right while I'm here because I don't ever want to come back again because some of the lessons are quite painful. Yet you're saying, and I've heard it said it as well, you know, once we get a little break on the other side, you said it just now, you're chomping at the bit to come back. Well, I, I think that that's people? very true. And, and it's especially, you know, another thing I must confess that became very clear to me was after my coma journey, I came to see the hardships in life, uh, the illness, the injury, the, the challenges and hurdles as the gifts. They're in many ways, they're the stepping stones that mark our way uh, forward. Um, and so I don't look at those hardships as enemies as much as kind of uh, friends that kind of guide the way along the proper spiritual path. And I believe that our free will uh, is what is most fully manifested in the way that we respond to those challenges. So it, it really kind of completely uh, refreshed the way I look at the difficulties in life and, the, and some of the pains that people might see in this existence, and yet I've come to befriend them tremendously uh, and realize that it's by growing into the soul we came here to be, which is something we do through this process of addressing the hardships in life. So I don't look at them as kind of imperfections that are uh, there to get in our way, but that they actually play a role in our soul growth. No doubt about it. So you just mentioned free will. Do you? What is your belief now about freedom or free will versus a specific destiny? Well, I can tell you that certainly from a scientific viewpoint, uh, the whole notion of free will is a giant uh, kind of open question. There's no agreement. In fact, the materialist science that I used to worship before my coma, conventional materialist, you know, uh, kind of Newtonian deterministic neuroscience, uh, would actually scoff at anyone's notion that they have free will uh, because they look at consciousness as an epiphenomenon of chemical reactions and electron fluxes in the brain of subatomic particles, atoms, molecules, all following the laws of physics, chemistry, biology. So where would you inject any kind of free will into that? But I believe that, uh, especially when I consider all the uh, kind of unknowns about time and causality and in science, and believe me, there are plenty, um, that free will is actually the reason the whole universe exists, is for sentient beings to manifest free will. So from my point of view, uh, it's a, a very strong uh, part of our existence and the reason we're even here. Uh, but but that's not to say that certain aspects of our lives are not in some fashion kind of predetermined or uh, kind of mm -hmm. set up as those stepping stones I mentioned earlier. But it's how we then respond, especially to the challenges and hardships, that allows us to recover that sense of, of, of love and compassion for self and others and uh, really start to bring the healing into, uh, into our being uh, is through uh, this kind of much broader uh, recognition, but it all, for me, hinges very deeply on, on more of an understanding of causality. You know, what are the, the actual laws that govern uh, causes and effects in our universe? Um, and then how can we take these lessons to heart and learn them to grow into the souls we came here to be? And I believe that uh, the concept of free will is absolutely essential to really gleaning the depths of our potential and of our abilities to understand at this deeper level. Wow. Okay. So I want to ask both of you, do you meditate together and do you, or, or and or do you share the experiences that you have in meditation? Well, we have made it meditated together and when we haven't done it recently, but when we would do it, we would, um, usually it was through listening to the sacred acoustics recordings which I know we'll talk about later, but we would listen at the same time and we would have a similar intention. And then when it was finished, we would tell each other what just happened. And the most remarkable thing was finding that sometimes the same thing happened. Once I recall mm. feeling like we were flying like angels and I was wrapped up in Evan's, you know, angel wings or something. And he had a similar type of experience of us flying together and uh, he may not have had described it in exactly the same way, and yet we were sharing a similar sensation. And that's what's so exciting because 
that's when you can really validate and start to realize that you're not just making this stuff up, that there actually is a way to validate by finding those common patterns. Yes, I would say that was, for me, a very uh, kind of exciting part about our early adventures. Uh, that was all back in 2012, 2013, those early years of our working together. Uh, but we, you know, having a buddy system like that, and we were living hundreds of miles apart. We were not living anywhere close to each other. Uh, and yet, of course, those other realms are independent of time and, and space in many ways. So uh, just to kind of set up to meet up there at the same time gives you uh, certainly a lot of ability to do that kind of thing. And it's one of the things that impressed me early on, where our abilities to kind of share kind of emotional and cognitive uh, experience that we, we had in those meditative uh, kind of simultaneous journeys. And uh, it, it is a bit sad for me that we don't do that much these days. It has a lot to do with our work schedule and also with uh, Karen's own kind of abilities to interact with sacred acoustics, et cetera, whereas I get to really flow free. But uh, there are just differences in the way that we use the meditation these days uh, so that we're not quite as able to do shared meditation, even though we can always get started again. We sure can. We can. That's true. So the book that you wrote together is called Living in a Mindful Universe, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Heart of Consciousness. I'd love for you to talk about what you mean by that, the heart of consciousness. I have a feeling it's a play on words. Well, in many ways it is. Uh, and I w it's, it's really because this is about, you know, a neurosurgeon, somebody who has a big interest in brain, mind, and consciousness. But going through a very deep dive into understanding the nature of consciousness. And so you're exactly right. That play on words is completely something I would attribute to Karen and her beautiful influence on me. As she told you earlier, uh, you know, back in those early days, there I was as this scientist way up in my head struggling to explain these things. But at the end of the day, always coming into this incredibly, uh, infinitely healing force of, of, of unconditional love that I had encountered like so many other near-death experiencers. But Karen knew it well and knew it through and through. And she was, in fact, the one who kept pushing me back to, well, this you can talk about this one mind all you want to, but it's ultimately about a heart consciousness. One heart, huh. I like to say, when he says one mind. One mind. And, and, and the truth huh. of the matter is our semantics have us splitting things all the time, whereas, in yes. fact, we should look at consciousness really in its most uniform uh, fashion. And in its uniform fashion, it makes no sense to talk about a brain or body or heart or where are you going to park that consciousness? Because in fact, it's uh, ultimately non-local, uh, and that's non-physical. And non-physical. Yeah. In fact, the whole physical world emerges from the realm of consciousness. There's a mental realm of kind of top-down causality uh, that we talk about, you know, from a neuroscience, quantum physics point of view, uh, and that's where a lot of this kind of thinking is, is is coming together. But it really has to do with that heart of consciousness being about love, and that's the true binding force. You know, I've been in scientific conferences where we were supposed to split out all the kind of scientific discussion of brain and mind, but you really, if you leave out that incredible healing force of love, uh, you're leaving out something that's absolutely essential. You can't even talk about it without that. So, um, mm. it's and really I can't about imagine that, that being a major of topic and, of conversation in a group of doctors. <laughs> well, it actually does come up. I was at a, a meeting. Uh, hospice and palliative care doctors in a room of about 600 uh, physicians and nurses and other healthcare workers who worked with the dying and those making the transition. And the conversation had started with a very kind of technical, uh, you know, uh, lucid uh, del uh, terminal delusion kind of talk. Uh, but after I kind of re-steered the conversation later on, everybody, by reminding them that those terminal uh, delusions might be terminal lucidity, an example of uh, you know, eternal soul and consciousness, and then everybody started sharing stories along that line. So Ooh, doctors in private that. who do this work will absolutely have much to share about that uh, binding force of love and much of what they've seen at the bedside when a patient makes a transition. So it's possible, but it's not part of the party speak, you know, that you, you lead the discussion with at a medical meeting, but it certainly can come to the fore when people start sharing from their own heart about their own experiences with patients and, and that they may have had, uh, you know, when near physical death or something like that. Yeah. 
All right. So you spoke a few minutes ago about how language limits us. And I'm going to ask you a very loaded question. Is there scientific evidence that God exists? And that may require using a different name for God, right? Well, what what I would say um, is that I'd like to start with a quote that I absolutely love. Werner Heisenberg, one of the founding fathers of quantum physics, won the Nobel Prize in 1932 for that work. And he said, the first sip from the glass of natural sciences will lead you towards atheism, but at the bottom of the glass, God is waiting for you. And what he was really saying is that uh, there's a tremendous amount of evidence, and it's only gotten stronger and stronger within the world of quantum physics, suggesting this kind of mental realm of the universe and uh, kind of a mental uh, guiding force and top-down causality. Every bit of that is code word uh, for God, for the reality of God at the source of conscious awareness. Um, and in fact, I would say that uh, as a general kind of statement about it, if um, if quantum physicists uh, were forced to include consciousness uh, in their models of explaining quantum physics, they would have to let go of, of the insane many-worlds interpretation of infinite parallel universes unfolding at every moment in space-time. That's the price you pay for trying to explain all causality within one universe if you don't allow consciousness to be fundamental. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, it's really the proof that, that God, that the, this eternity of consciousness, is part of our reality. And that's something yeah. that the modern science is just beginning to discover. But, of course, they've got 400 years of rebelling against you know, religion and God and all of that, so they have a lot of trouble with it. And yet, when you step aside and just look at the empirical data and rational argument, it's a very strong supporter for the eternity of soul, our connectedness through love, and the reality of a God force at the core of it all. Fabulous. All right, everybody, fascinating conversation. Come back after the break, and we'll pick up where we left off. Have you noticed that no matter how hard you try to release attachments, heal traumas, and change your life, you still feel as if you don't belong? There is a reason and a solution for this. Join award-winning actor, comedian, and best-selling author Kyle Cease and learn how to immerse yourself in a new way of being at From Lonely to Free, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Enjoying the show as much as I am. Uh, we have the honor of talking to Dr. Evan Alexander and his partner Karen Newell. Let's move right into talking about the wonderful aids to meditation that you two have with your company, Sacred Acoustics. And everybody listening, I want you to check out sacredacoustics.com for more information, anything we don't cover. But those of you who follow my work know that I have a series of four CDs for mediumship to help with connecting across the veil. And that's with the tones. Now, I'd love for you to to talk to us about sacred acoustics and uh, just is it the same technology, maybe a little different, and how does aid people with meditation? Well, as it happens, Hemisync was was a very valuable tool for me when I was going about all of this in the early years. And that's actually where I met the audio engineer who became my business partner in Sacred Acoustics. It's also where I met uh, Eben. We met down at the Monroe Institute um, exploring using that technology to help others find ways to make these kinds of connections. And in the process of doing all that, we, create, we really took apart Hemisync and, 
Kevin and I, my business partner, we really took Hemisync apart and put it back together again in what we thought were improved ways. And so one of the things that's different is Hemisync technology is binaural beats. That's where you hear one frequency in one ear at slightly different frequency in the other ear. And it's the difference between them that usually lines up with a brainwave state. So like four hertz, for example, is that state between delta and theta between awake and asleep. So that's a very common frequency that Hemisync and other brainwave entrainment providers um, include. But we went a little further and added monaural beats. That's where you hear the same frequency in both ears. And it's the way we combine those two different types of sounds that makes our technology a little bit different. And the other thing that we've done is the carrier frequencies, the ones that you hear, are always harmonic to every other carrier frequency or any other sound in that particular recording. And that's allowed us to eliminate sounds like uh, rain or ocean or pink noise that is very often included in binaural beats to help kind of lessen that kind of intense electronic feeling. They, they sound like, you know, wah, 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 and it can be kind of intense because it's a, it's a, a, digital frequency, and it's not necessarily easy to listen to. So our way of creating these made them a little bit easier to listen to and kind of created this sort of holographic 3D kind of sensation, um, so, so much so that we are able to play our recordings at events over speakers and not having to use the headphones because people are still able to have the effects with the way that we create them. And so um, this kind of technology well, one... is this kind of technology is actually found naturally in things like crystal bowls or Tibetan bowls. Anything that has that kind of wah wah sort of sound is a brainwave entrainment frequency. So when we're able to create them very intentionally with very specific frequencies that's when you start to see some very interesting effects. And let's talk yes, about that. So I, I would simply we're add, I was, the drawn to, I was drawn to um, binaural beats, uh, you know, that kind of brainwave entrainment, within about two years after my coma because I realized that the only way to get serious about trying to understand my, my near-death experience was by exploring consciousness and coming up with a powerful mode of meditation. And I had heard from several sources that, um, that binaural beats were very powerful. And from a neuroscientific perspective, there's a big reason for that. And this is something that we do explain in detail in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe. But the short version of the explanation is that, uh, you know, most of the sounds that you may have ever heard in your life that might have engendered a transcendental state of conscious awareness, uh, chants, anthems, hymns, what have you, those are all processed up in the very recently evolved circuits uh, in the neocortex, in the acoustic cortex of the temporal lobes, uh, in circuits that basically have been refined in the last uh, one to 10 million years of evolution. <laughs> Whereas the binaural beats, uh, any circuits that are using this differential frequency brain entrainment are actually addressing circuits in the lower brainstem that arose mm. more than 300 million years ago. And there's a general principle in evolutionary biology that uh, if you want to get at kind of the origin of a function, understand it more deeply, uh, you follow the evolution and you follow the anatomy back to uh, its origins. And, and so when we look at consciousness in the brain, and, and again, we're not, nobody's saying that consciousness is produced by the brain, but it certainly involves an interaction with the filtering mechanism of the brain. And from right. that viewpoint, uh, the, the differential frequency sounds are affecting a circuit uh, like I said, 300 million years old, that's before mammals even arose on Earth. And I think that's one of the reasons why it can have such a profound effect on conscious awareness. And when you so compare it to, for that. example, the people, people recommending psychedelic drugs to try and get into spiritual uh, states, uh, they're talking about something that is a manipulation of those neocortical circuits, the recently evolved circuits. And that's why, where I would say, well, you can get a whole lot more power than that when you dive deep and, and use these differential frequency sounds. And, for example, Christopher Bache, B-A-C-H-E, wrote a book called Dark mm -hmm. Night, Early Dawn uh, mm -hmm. about 20 years ago. 
And in that book, he compared head-to-head his work using high-dose LSD for spiritual uh, enlightenment versus his work using differential frequency um, brain entrainment and sound. And he came away concluding in that book that the sound is a very effective way to get into to deep spiritual truth that is certainly on the same ballpark as uh, his work with high-dose LSD. And when you read his high-dose LSD work, you realize that is not for everybody at all. Exactly. I'm familiar with his work, and some of it, yeah, you wouldn't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. But what are right. some of these effects? You both talked, uh, mentioned several times the effects that come from using this technology. And just for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's simply by listening to recordings that are specifically produced to produce these effects. So for both of you, what are the effects? Well, the, the, there's a lot of effects that take place, and all of us are unique and will all respond differently. So the best way to find out is to try it for yourself. We do offer a free sample at our website by entering your email, sacredacoustics.com. We'll send you a 20-minute sample. But the effects that many people report, one is that those distracting thoughts start to lessen. Somehow your this entrainment idea Somehow your, whatever your lower brainstem is doing, it's detracting attention from those thoughts up in the neocortex. So that's one. Another one is that people get very profoundly relaxed. I talked about that, that kind of space between awake and asleep. So this is where the body is profoundly relaxed, but the mind is still aware. And so this can be a really profound experience for some people. Other effects are reduced anxiety, uh, better focus. Um, insomnia help. Um, we did do a pilot study that was published in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease in February of 2020 that showed a 26% reduction in anxiety just after two weeks of listening wow. in a busy Manhattan psychiatric practice. And the control group saw just a 7% reduction in anxiety at the same time. And so just wow. by listening to certain recordings, you can start to become more relaxed. All those benefits of meditation that people talk about where you have a better immune response and you're better, to, better able to handle illness and such, that can be enhanced or even exponentially um, added to when you combine the use of binaural beats. And one thing I would like to add in way of clarification is so many of us kind of identify with our thoughts in our head, that running stream of thoughts, of consciousness, as, you know, who we are, our little ego. I think I heard Karen there. Are you on the air now, Karen? Yes. Yes. Okay, good. We dropped you for about a few minutes because some really loud, annoying sound came on the air. But I'm glad we have you back. I just managed to blabber away while waiting for you. (laughs) Oh, well, we were blabbering away, too. We thought we were still on, so we kept talking. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what, what we were talking I'm about saying the... is sometimes when people listen to these recordings, they start to feel emotional. And sometimes people will say, oh, the recordings caused me to feel sadness. And I, and I usually remind people that that sadness is probably already within you. And the tones seem to, once we get into that relaxed state, seem to activate these things. And so I know myself, when I was busy trying to become telepathic and do successful remote viewing, at first, I kind of had to work through some of my own emotional baggage. And so it offered me this opportunity to first kind of trigger those emotions and then release them. And that's a very simplistic way of of describing it, but it kind of happens over time, like peeling off layers of an onion. But if you really want to get deep inside, sometimes that stuff needs to be worked through before you can really make progress. Let's talk about the heart-centeredness again, though. uh, I'd like to know more about that. Is that something that you do every time as part of your practice of deliberately shifting the focus from the head to the heart? Well, very often in all of the recordings that we offer, there's um, guidance included, but also versions without guidance because so many people already know kind of what they're doing. But when we do add guidance, very often one of the suggestions is to move your awareness to your heart center and imagine your breath is moving in and out of your heart. And just that alone can kind of shift your awareness from concerns of the day or maybe lack of confidence that you really know how to do all of this. And just imagine your breath is moving in and out of your heart. For me, that's a standard practice I do 
almost all day long. It feels kind of uh, autonomic now, just feeling like my breath is moving that way. But uh, Eben, do you? Eben also goes to his, with his. He do a beautiful description of that heart resonance. Well, in fact, it, to me, it becomes very obvious when we do uh, our meditation play shops out in the world where we have audiences and uh, we're taking them through the, these concepts and practices um, because I then get to do the meditations with the group. And for me, that's a very profound uh, uh, and kind of clear-cut example of this kind of heart resonance because as I go deep into my own meditative state and kind of feel my own Uh, uh, kind of heart energy, I start feeling how it overlaps and interacts with the heart energies uh, of all those that are participating in the room. And of course, it's not something that's limited in that fashion either. You can have a sense of this heart resonance when you're meditating with anyone uh, anywhere, especially if if you know them and have kind of an emotional connection with them. And not even just when you're meditating. Sometimes right. I like to do it when I'm in a maybe contentious conversation with someone. Part of me moves my awareness to the heart, and somehow it helps with enabling a resolution to whatever conflict was going on. We don't always have to know. You know, scientists like Eben and others are very much wanting to know the mechanism, an exact description of how it's happening before they will oh, believe sure. it. And for me, it's more, well, I just experienced it. It feels real. And, wow, that's good enough for me. So I, well, I, I certainly embrace that, you know, that, that feeling in the moment that it works. And I, and I know that from many, uh, kind of, a lot of the feedback I've gotten from our audiences and uh, a lot of what I feel there. So, um, you know, I don't have to know the mechanism to appreciate the power of it. But uh, as a scientist, that's what I'm ultimately going to be working on is the mechanism. And we hope you figure it out. Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're all involved in that. And, and because the ultimate goal here is to help everyone uh, come into more wholeness uh, with their soul. And that's what this is really all about. And Absolutely. once we realize that little ego mind in our, you know, the little voice in our head is not necessarily an ally trying to get to these answers, but there is an aspect of us, that observer, that neutral part, that one can develop very richly in meditation. And that's something so that, that Karen and I talk about a lot. May I interrupt you a second here, though? So we, we talked about the brain entrainment software, but truly that's just technology. Is it always necessary to listen to recordings, or do you use other methods for achieving similar states? Well, I certainly use other methods for achieving other states. I have kind of think of the recordings as very, very useful tools, but more like training wheels. where That's you. right. Yeah, you start to recognize, oh, this is what it feels like. And sometimes, you know, when I first started this, I expected like this full-blown technicolor experience in order for me to feel like I've accomplished something. But that's not how it works. It's often much, much more subtle. And occasionally you might get those big splash experiences. But once you start to recognize that these states are very subtle, you can work your way into them. But the tones really help you learn what that state feels like and helps you achieve it much more quickly, for example, than the 10,000 hours that Tibetan monks need to spend meditating <laughs> before they become experts. So not many I, of them I'm have so that glad. time. I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because while I was filling time while we got you back on the line, I was saying that, that somebody who's been meditating for years and years may not notice a difference with the tones because you're already achieving those states. So I'm really glad you made the point, though, that we shouldn't expect bells and whistles, big technicolor experiences every time. That's not the goal. Right. Well, I would say even for me today, you know, meditating an hour, two or three a day for the last almost decade, uh, I'll still have kind of fairly mundane uh, meditative experiences. They're always tremendously relaxing. Uh, I often feel like I get these very deep answers that I wasn't even looking for. Uh, But no, they're not always just gigantic uh, bells and whistles. Uh, and the other thing is when you meditate like that, as I'm sure you're aware with your uh, kind of chronic meditation habits, your <laughs> mind changes. And, and yeah. as Karen says, I love how she used the, the phrase training wheels, because in many ways that's the case. And I know that my mind and kind of my intuition, my mental function, my empathy with others has shifted dramatically over the last decade. 
Part of that is a result of my NDE, but a, a lot of it is due to my ongoing work with meditation and really, uh, you know, cultivating uh, a, a much richer relationship with that fundamental essence of the universe and kind of essence of, of soul. And I think all of us, by, you know, spending time in prayer and meditation and going within uh, and then living our lives, because ultimately this is not just about, you know, achieving a, a connection with heaven through meditation and going within, but it's about bringing those deep truths uh, and knowing the world we go again. deal with them. That's the critical so, thing. So do you think that one person can make a difference in our world? Absolutely. <laughs> because every person is part of the whole. We often say no soul left behind. And if we're all connected and if all of our consciousness collectively is contributing to our unfolding reality, that should put a sense of responsibility into every single one of us. Because if we're just you know, flailing around and, and thinking that we're a victim of circumstance and that we're not really, uh, ha- we, we don't really have the power we truly have, that's not really helping the evolution of consciousness as much as some, someone, really every individual on the planet um, at some point will evolve into this state. And some of us are just a little further along than others. But each of us has that responsibility. I think of it as a birthright and a responsibility to contribute to the unfolding reality by dealing with our stuff, by letting go of past hurts and anxieties and really dealing with the issues that we came here to resolve. And uh, the more of us who do that, the more we will start to see the outer world start to catch up with our inner world. And this is really all about, uh, you know, the evolution of consciousness and each and every soul is involved in that process. And, and it, it just involves, it's really just to become more whole. You know, that's where the word healing comes from, become more whole, more of who we came here to be in the first place. And this is all part of the set of necessary steps, I would say, to go towards our healing. And so not only do we get soul healing out of all this, uh, but also physical, mental, and emotional health uh, come much more into our purview when we're following this kind of a, an enlightened pathway of awakening. Beautiful. So we have a lot of problems in the world right now. Things are just seem a bit chaotic. What can individuals do? I know that everybody listening would love to play a part in healing our world. Well, one thing we can do is really start to pay attention to our inner world. And we all seem to have that opportunity, many of us who are stuck doing things outside of our normal routines right now, and just taking time to release some of that anxiety, to Find that inner peace. That will contribute to our world, whether we realize it or not. The other thing we can do is to start to really generate those feelings of gratitude. When you can find just one small thing to be grateful for, not just thinking about it, but really feeling that gratitude, that energy radiates out into the world naturally. And you can pass along this gratitude and love to others without even saying a word. And I would also add that, um, you know, in the midst of all this hardship with COVID, the economic crunch, the, the racial issues that have come to a fore recently, the global nature of it all, um, it's a beautiful opportunity for us to see this as a collective gift of desperation. Just as in addiction and alcohol work, you find that people often hit a bottom that is kind of a gift of desperation, where the hardships really energize your improvement and your healing. Likewise, we can all look at the the hardships of the COVID pandemic as an opportunity. It's exposed some of the worst problems with, uh, you know, our failed old systems, like our socioeconomic system that basically focused all the economic welfare uh, at the very tip top of the pile and didn't let everybody share uh, in the beauty of it. And likewise, um, um, healing of, at large, healing individuals, healing of the world at large, this is all something that comes into the realm of possibility, all uh, basically uh, um, energized by these hardships and the, and the, 
and the problems that they've exposed in our economic and healthcare systems, uh, and in our you know war and political, all these things, uh, this polarization is part of the false sense of separation that came out of materialist thinking in the first place. And yeah. the new science is not materialism; it's rising to show this oneness of consciousness, which is a tremendous opportunity for all of us to build a much better system as we face these challenges of recovering from the COVID pandemic and the economic onslaught. Well, if I could just add with one minute to go here, both of you have given a beautiful contribution to society with these free webinars that you've been doing since COVID started. And if it's not too late, can people still enjoy those and possibly watch some of the past? If they've enjoyed this show, I'm sure they want to hear more of what you have to share. Yes. If you go to unitedinhopeandhealing.com, we are continuing this series of every other week webinars on Thursdays, the same time as your show. But the good uh-huh. news is we, we record them and uh, we post replays. So there are, I don't know how many, maybe 12 or 14. It, we've been doing it since March, every, uh, twice a month. And Suzanne, you were our guest back in August. Yeah. And we've had other guests, experiencers, scientists, researchers. And these are colleagues we normally would have seen at events that we're connecting with online. Right. And it's just an incredible service, and you've just blessed us all by taking the time you'd normally be doing that and talking with us today. I can't thank you enough as we wrap this up. Thanks for your wisdom and your books, and I encourage everybody to check out the books, the webinars, and it's just awesome. Thank you both. Well, thanks. Thanks so much, Suzanne, for having us on. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.